0: the Go Legal Yourself podcast. This show is about knowing the legal life cycle of your business. Welcome to the Go Legal Yourself podcast, episode 25, titled The Birth of a Brand, Launching Your Entrepreneurial Passion and Soul. I'm your host, Attorney Kelly Bagler, the Queen of Business Law. By the way, did you know my podcast actually has its own app now? That's right. You can go directly to your app stores and you can download my app, search for Go Legal Yourself and Bob's Your Uncle. You're not just going to get the app by itself, but you're also going to get a copy of my book called Go Legal Yourself. Do yourselves a favor, entrepreneurs. Knowledge is power, and this is the best way to gain power. Plus, when you do download my app directly onto your phone, you can interact with me. You can go directly to the app. You can leave me messages, and I'll be more than happy to answer any questions that you may have. You can interact with us on social media with Go Legal Yourself and do find us on the web at golegalyourself.com. This podcast is about knowing the legal life cycle of your business and by knowing where you are, it's easier to become successful. Get ready for a life-changing show as we empower all business owners and entrepreneurs to dare to become successful. I'm very excited and honoured to be interviewing... The man behind the UGG brand, the one and only, the UGG guy himself, Brian Smith, about his journey as an entrepreneur. Welcome, Brian.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. It's great to be here.
0: What an honor. Thank you for carving some time out to come see us.
1: Oh, it's it's a pleasure.
0: Well, first and foremost, I always ask all of my guests to share their favorite attorney joke. And yes, that might have been an oxymoron, as somebody just pointed out, favorite attorney. Right. (laughs) But I'm sure when one comes to you, we can always uh, share with us later on. Yeah, I'll
1: I'll just share that I know attorneys who I love. I know attorneys who I hate. There's no real um, whitewash you can put on attorneys as a rule, you know.
0: (laughs) I suppose not, no. So it's really a love-hate relationship. I I have an attorney joke. Okay. We've been getting really cold weather lately. Yes. And so I would ask you... Brian, how cold is it? I don't know, Kelly. How cold is it? I have no
1: idea how cold is it.
0: (laughs) Well, attorneys are actually putting their own hands in their pockets rather than somebody else's. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I know, I know. It's very rare that people actually get an intimate look inside of, or should I say a look inside, sort of at the making of a brand right. and actually getting an intimate look at the entrepreneur himself that created a brand. It's a worldwide brand.
1: Yes, it is.
0: So as the author of The Birth of a Brand, share with us, Brian, I, I, I wish we had, you know, five, six hours. So yes. Obviously, you know, there's going to be part two, three, and four, I right? hope so, yes. 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 So please share with the audience a little bit about uh, how you got started.
1: Okay. I was a disgruntled accountant in Australia. It took me 10 years to graduate because I was sort of working in the day and studying at night. And the day I graduated, I quit because I hated being an accountant. (laughs) And I had this feeling inside that I I wanted to get a business for myself. And during a meditation in, in Perth, Australia, I I figured that, you know, all the best trends are coming out of California, like Levi jeans and waterbeds and all the surf brands. So I thought, I'm going to go to California, I'm going to find the next big trend and bring it back to Australia. And so... So you're
0: actually, you, you were planning on going back to Australia. Oh,
1: totally. Yeah, yeah. That was home. I never had any 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 wish to live in America, yeah. And so I arrived in California and started surfing up at Malibu, which was always one of my great passions, and after a month, I didn't find the next big thing, and the next month, I didn't find the next big thing, but, <laughs> but it was about the third month, it was about November, December, and it, the water was getting cold, and, and the, you know, the air was co- cooling off, and I would finish a surf, and I was pulling on my sheepskin boots, and I got goosebumps, because I thought, oh my God, there's no sheepskin boots in America. And one in two Australians had some sort of sheepskin footwear. So I decided I was going to start importing sheepskin boots and become an instant millionaire.
0: When I was reading your book, and every time you mentioned goosebumps, right. I always call them goosies.
1: Goosies, and okay.
0: my audience is very familiar with goosies. Cause really? When I, okay. when I feel something that this is right, or this yep. is the path to follow, or yep. stick to your guns, yep. you get goosey. So as I was reading your book... And you mentioned goosies. I was getting goosies. Oh, that's
1: fantastic. <laughs> that's fantastic. Yes. I, I was speaking on stage yesterday and a whole bunch of people came up afterwards and said they got the goosebumps too, you know. So <laughs>
0: Right, exactly. Yeah. It's amazing. Just yeah. sort of the so entrepreneurs it takes a special breed.
1: I I agree with that.
0: So in in your story in your entrepreneurial life, can you share with the audience sort of what characteristics, if you will, or what's the ingredients that usually would make an entrepreneur?
1: Yeah, well, uh, uh, the people who are not entrepreneurs hate risk. Right? They, they want something steady predictable and for every effort they put out they expect an, you know some return coming back whereas entrepreneurs are willing to forego the immediate gratification for a big payoff later on and that I think that's the biggest distinction and so if you have an ability to take risk or, or, or you know uh, be unafraid of something new, then you 've probably got the entrepreneurial bug, and it 's critical though that if you do have that tendency is that you must get started right because, exactly. because <clears throat> nothing happens when you 're not in motion and I have a great example of this like the universe is absolutely perfect everything you could possibly want is already in existence in in the universe in, in our in, on this planet right right. And my best example is, you know, when's the last time you saw an advertisement for a refrigerator? Do you recall? No. No, Nobody does. No. But if you needed a refrigerator this weekend, you would start seeing them online. You would start seeing refrigerators in newspaper advertisements. You'd be driving down the street and you would see windows full of refriger- refrigerators. And the purpose of this explanation is that once you start out on a path, the universe will conspire to work with you right so if you're on the path of looking for a refrigerator you'll see evidence everywhere if you're sitting in front of the couch watching tv and you haven't started yet you'll never see a single sign to help you on your way so that's to me one of the most powerful truths in being an entrepreneur is get off your butt and start
0: about a year ago November I felt there was more to what I was doing Uh uh-huh I love practicing law. It truly is a passion of mine, Brian. But I knew there was something more that I had to sort of figure out what it was and chase it. Gotcha. And it's that feeling, like you just said, the entrepreneur isn't 100% always satisfied. There's always something new to achieve. Right. And so that's when I started putting it out there in, in the universe, if you will. And a friend of mine connected me to another lady and based on that connection that's when it started to unfold so whatever you ask the universe yep. it truly does come it, to it you it
1: totally does as long as you're aware you've got your eyes open looking yep. right yep.
0: and going back to taking risks so i always say as an entrepreneur you can only eat what you kill Okay, we we don't have. That's a lawyer saying, isn't there it? There you
1: go. <laughs> <laughs> There's my lawyer joke.
0: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> fantastic. But you, you, we never get guaranteed paychecks, right? You know? It would be fantastic if we did. But you're right. The the rewards are a lot more. Yes. Yes. So in your book, which is in. Extremely fascinating, I so resonated with everything that you were saying. You talk about there are stories in the book that are about achievements, about failures, yes, about lucky breaks, yes, and about near disasters
1: absolutely and that that sums up an entrepreneur,
0: yes, it does, yeah, would you mind Brian sharing with us? maybe let's start with a lucky break. Can you share a quick story? Uh, where you experienced a lucky break. Okay. Besides people, they have to obviously go read your book.
1: Okay. Well, I also look at luck as karma. You know, you, you put efforts out and you get back what you put out. If it's good, you get a good result, bad, you get a bad result. And one of the luckiest things that happened, uh, to, and this was like after the company was sort of mature, we we're doing about $10, 12000000 million in sales, and <clears throat> we had been shipping boots to this woman in London every christmas and it was a pain in the butt because she'd give us an order of like 20 pairs but we had to ship it to 20 different people which meant 20 different customs (laughs) for it was just like a real you know it it was a lot of work and we'd been doing this for a couple of years because it was trudy styler who was the wife of sting Mm -hmm. and we wanted to be sort of cool in the the celebrity market (laughs) And one day she called us and said, Hey, Brian, you know, I've just been to a seminar that's changed my world. Uh, I I need a most perfect pair of boots as a gift. Can you find a pair of tall, sand, size, whatever? And here's the address. Do you have a pen? And I said, yep. And she goes, Oprah, care of Oprah Winfrey. (laughs) And that was what probably the luckiest break we had because that launched us from... A sort of a national mm-hmm. brand. It went international, and it went all the way across mm-hmm. the airwaves, and so. It, but we would never have got there had we not kept being, you know, shipping boots to to Trudy, and so there was the karmic return. Extreme, yeah. and, and
0: again, it's that gut feeling too, isn't it? Yes. I'm not ready to let this go.
1: That's right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
0: Oh, fantastic! What about a quick story about? I'm going to leave near disaster to last. Okay. <laughs> How about one of An achievement. How did you feel the very first time you made your million dollars?
1: It was. We all high fived around the office, (laughs) uh, which was pretty cool. But I can't say that was like a really successful period um, because we were too small to be big and too big to be small. Mm -hmm. Right? I couldn't afford a full time staff. So it was always very seasonal, you know, October, November, December was a huge rush where we needed to you know, have a, a really good infrastructure. And then, you know, February, we had to let everybody go. So, um, and, and the other thing was with a million dollars in sales, it meant we'd sort of cracked into where the market was ready, mm-hmm. but we were still... Toddling, you know, or infancy and toddling in in the real scale of our growth, and that meant we um, we just you know all the money we just made in October, November, December, we had to spend on trade shows coming up in February and March, you know, the deposits and then new styles and new new colours and new. Product samples, which was a huge amount of money, and so pretty much by March we were at, you know, at the million dollar stage. At March, meant I had to go back and get another summer job, <laughs> and I did that for three years.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's incredible. So, for our audience that's listening and they are contemplating on going into becoming an entrepreneur right. and opening their own uh, business. Sure, it's not. As safe as you ma- you make your first five thousand or ten thousand, and that's all profit. Yeah, it depends obviously on the business too. But for the majority of that money, you've got to put it back into the business so you can get to the next to make level. It, if you
1: want to make it grow, yeah. How many yeah.
0: years, Brian, did it take you to get to a level where you didn't have to get a part-time job?
1: Uh, the fourth year I was able to get an investor to sort of carry me through the summertime. Right. So it was three years of, you know, the first year was washing boats at Marina Del Rey. Mm-hmm. The next year was a, you know, a construction laborer in Bel Air, which was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And the third year was working on a golf course all summer uh, as a greenskeeper. So I, I really enjoyed all those three jobs, but. You know, I, I, in fact, when I was on the golf course, I decided I'm going to give up. It's just too hard. I can't do this seasonally. And it was one rainy day. The first storm hit the California coast for the for the winter season, and I got home and there were 25-30 messages on my answering machine, which had been dead all summer all these retailers screaming for product. Mm-hmm. And that's when I realized, okay, I, I've either got to give up or I've got to get someone to carry me through the, the next summer because I've got to make this into a real business. And luckily I chose that.
0: And. All of your part-time jobs that you've held, you've actually learned something. You took that as an opportunity to learn and and get connected to more people too.
1: Yeah, no, they were were good times, yeah.
0: (laughs) See, that's how entrepreneurial, the spirit, that's how you think. In fact,
1: looking back on those early days where I was broke are probably some of my fondest memories of the entire business.
0: When you were broke, yeah. 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 I think you really have to, these growing pains that you went through, they... An entrepreneur really has to go through those, I feel. They can get all the advice in the world. Yes. They can get the best coaches in the world. Yes. But unless you've gone through that, you're not really going to understand what it really takes. Yeah,
1: it doesn't sink in. It does, you don't get the experience and the wisdom from, from, from failing, yeah.
0: Right. Talking about failure, can you share a story on failure with us?
1: Okay, well, um, I don't consider I ever failed, I had some horrible uh, circumstances that happened. Wow. Uh, I'll give you an example. One of them was um, when we were doing about $2 million, you know, there was this, this one week, uh, and it was the beginning of winter again. And winter in California means it rains, right? Wow. You get that yes. first storm that hits the coast and it rains. And I, I didn't have enough money in the bank for payroll, and it was a Friday, And so I talked to my accountant and I said, look, I'm going to go to the bank. I'm going to get a loan on my credit cards, uh, but I can't afford to pay everybody their full salaries. And, so we made it. We worked out. Okay, who who could afford to take a cut, and we sort of made a, a, a just a, an objective cut for them. And other people had little kids, and we knew, but they couldn't take a cut, you know, for a, a week's pay. And and so anyway, we, out of about twelve employees, we I figured out how much I could actually afford to pay them on the credit card, and I told Conrad to you know um, get the checks ready but don't do anything till i get i don't think i said to him don't do anything till i get back but when i did get back from the bank he'd given all the checks out and and i wanted the opportunity to stand up in <laughs> front of them all and tell him what was going on right and i was met with like these hostile people when i got back like why how the hell can you cut my check you, you know and and i realized what he'd done and that there was no way i could recover from it and a couple of people quit Mm -hmm. and you know a couple of other people were you know understood and they were real sympathetic but you know within 10 minutes you know 10 after five I was sitting alone in the office and the 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 rain's pelting down on the windows and that was probably one of the lowest points that I ever got to in the business trying to think you know all I'm doing is trying to keep it alive and nobody's grateful you know but the weird thing is that, that I have a saying that's in the book, and that is your most disappointing disappointments always turn out to be your greatest blessings. And it turned out that the three or four people that quit, they weren't very good employees anyway. There you go. <laughs> and, and two weeks later, I'd done a big cash shipment to one of my customers and I had enough money to pay everybody their back pay. Right. And we were back on track. Everything was normal. And, and now we're cruising because we didn't have those three or four employees. So... Every disaster has the seeds of its, uh, you know, a benefit in it.
0: I, I'm 100% a believer in that, Brian. You, I'm, I'm such a firm believer that, sure, you're the one, you're the founder of a company and you have the vision and mission and you can take it to the next level yeah. because there's not going to be anyone else that works as hard as you. You're vested in it 100%. Yeah. It's on you. Either you make it or break it. But. Once you have a dynamic team on your side, someone that believes in you. Yes. Like someone that believes in your passion. Yep. And it doesn't matter whether they're gonna get paid this month or not, but they're still there. Yeah. That's huge. You can't buy that type of loyalty. No, you're
1: absolutely right. And I, I had several of those employees that, that they were, you know, passionate evangelists you know they were the barbarians out in the in the wilderness you know (laughs) spreading the word of ug
0: i do have to share i've got a couple of those too oh great (laughs) Great. yeah yeah you you just can't buy people like that exactly and i'd be remiss if i didn't ask you to share a story with us on near disaster
1: okay (laughs) the the biggest one was the company was probably doing about six million in sales. And I had lost control of the company uh, through this, you know, me not reading a document, you know, closely enough. I thought I was bringing in three new partners to the business and we were all going to own it 25%. -hmm. But there was a proviso that I didn't get my stock issued until I finished up this little trademark lawsuit. Right. Right right, and uh, I knew, I wasn't worried because I knew I'd win the lawsuit, it was just a matter of time, I'd get my stock back, but it dragged on for years and, and one of the three ended up buying the other two out during that period, so he now owned 100% and I owned nothing, Right. 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 But he said, you know, we've been working great for the last couple of years. Come on in next week. We're going to issue your stock, your 25%. You know, and I I was in heaven. Mm -hmm. And we we bought new cars from the company and we took out life insurance policies on each other and and we were ready to go. And then that weekend, though, my my wife called me. I had, you know, a, a brand new, you know, one of the first cell phones in a car, you know. (laughs) <laughs> and she called me, and, and she was crying. And she goes, "Oh my God, you know, Neil's died, and oh. he he'd been in a motocross race and and had a heart attack and never recovered." So, so I was stuck in you know I called up his widow and said I'll be up you know tomorrow and figure out where we're at and right. that became the you know the hardest six years of the entire business because I had to, uh, six months I should say because I had to get in there and figure out where the company was at mm-hmm. and I knew my supplier in Australia was not going to like this news because he'd been getting regular payments for four or five years and I knew he was going to remember back to when I was running the company <laughs> and it, it wasn't such a clean thing you know but I, always, I always paid him so Fast forward. Um, it was uh, five or six months. Of me trying to finance the company, but the banks are saying it's a fad. It will never be around next year. You know, this is when we're doing ten million in sales. It was so hard, and in regular investment bankers wouldn't touch it. And so I, I had a, a supplier in, in of a you know a tannery in Melbourne, Australia, that I was in discussions with to finance. But he was on the fence, and he, he never really committed. And so I finally got to this, you know, point of no return. It was in mm-hmm. September when we were supposed to start shipping and I still didn't have any production. And the um, the big trade show came up, uh, which kicks off the season. And even though I didn't know how we were going to get product, I, I wasn't ready to quit yet. Right. And so we went to the trade show and put on a good face and we had all last year's product out on the berth. And, and I had heard that there was this other company called thunderwear that were selling sheepskin boots and i, I wasn't too worried about them because you know i had big bigger problems but it, i knew they were the showing at this trade show so i walked over and you know a couple of booths stopped you know short us just stopped dead and, I, and there was all my product from my original manufacturer out in his booth oh, no. with different labels on the back they were called thugs because the company was thunderwear and they called mm-hmm. them thugs mm-hmm. and that's sort of when i knew i was out of business but i didn't tell anybody um because even though we were beaten i i wasn't ready to quit for the you know maybe i'll come back next year or something there was something in me that just kept wanting to fight right and so we finished that trade show, wrote a record number of sales without telling anybody they weren't going to get their birds. Right. <laughs> and my wife and I decided we were going to call all our customers and tell them on Monday to go buy the thugs. Mm-hmm. So when I got home from the trade show, I, I called up George. I saw Gordon, the, the guy from the tannery. Yes. And I said, you know, hey, this is what's happened. You know, our supply has gone around us and, and we're not going to be able to deliver this year. And he was sad and we hung up. But uh, yeah, two o'clock in the morning, the next morning, the, the phone rings and it's, hey, Brian, Gordon here. Screw George, I'll get you all the boots you need, you know. And and just like that, we were back in oh, business, you know. We sent the patterns down and he cranked up the tannery and had got four or five manufacturers working on it. And within about two weeks, we started getting 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 pairs every Friday. Wow. And it was, you know, enough. We we threw away millions of dollars worth of orders, but it was enough to keep us in business for the year. And so it, it's another one of those situations where, you know, that – well, well, two things happened. One, one was that uh, between Christmas and New Year, that the life insurance policy paid out, and it was just enough to buy the entire company back from his widow. So I owned That's the extremely uh, important. Uh, I, I, After yeah. you,
0: feel, please, please do continue because I want to circle uh, okay. back to that point again. Yeah,
1: and so that happened, and then the customs broker screwed up and shipped two thousand pairs of thugs boots to me <laughs> and a thousand of mine to him. <laughs> so I swapped them over and. It was when I was driving back to San Diego from San Clemente, I, I was thinking, you know, how come we couldn't keep boots in the warehouse for 24 hours and we were just wiped clean every Saturday and the thugs warehouse was floor to ceiling full of sheepskin boots and it made me realize that my customers were so loyal mm-hmm. that they wouldn't buy from the company they knew knocked me off mm-hmm. and they would rather forgo nearly two or three million dollars worth of sales at retail than go with the, you know those guys so those were two revelations that that came out of it and it it just highlighted again that that you know, your most critical disappointments have within it the seeds of your greatest blessings. And and so, you know, no one could have foreseen me owning the company again. Even I didn't. Right. And yet out of that disaster came this, this silver lining.
0: It's incredible. But thank God you had your legal ducks, if you will, in a row. Yes. Because... There's so many business owners out there that go into business with each other and they don't have a succession plan. They don't have a buy-sell agreement. They have no idea if one of the partners, let's say that they become disabled or they're in a coma. And now you're stood holding half of the business because it's always half. (laughs) Yep. <laughs> it's and, always half-half. and it's right? not
1: always a disaster. maybe the, the other partner just gets bored and wants to walk out. You know? but
0: in that particular situation you can actually sit down with them and figure out what the company's worth what, if, what if there's a success exactly.
1: because maybe they don't agree, you're stuck you know? so a good legal document you'll have a, 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 a way to force the issue to get out yes. of it and, th- and that's something I you know no one going into business ever foresees a disaster coming. Right. See, that's why. They and that's that's us. the critical. That's the critical reason to have a e- good lawyer exactly. with some just basic documents on. Okay, you think it's never going to happen, but let's prepare for it anyway. And if you never use this document, great. But you know, in your mind, you're thinking you are going to use this document. Oh yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's what
0: we're we're. Um sort of that's what we study for right? yes. to to yes. look at the worst case scenario that's right so if a father and son came to me and said they wanted to go into business i make sure that there's a contract between them yep father yep. and son yep right so going back to having life insurance on each other as well extremely important because in that situation brian Yep. if the life insurance wasn't in place where were you going to come oh, up I with the have, money I, I, no, you'd, you'd hold no the, the
1: company would have folded yeah because, yeah, be,
0: because his estate had no idea how to run she, yeah, his,
1: his wife had never stepped foot in the business no. she, she didn't have a clue so yeah it was me spending that six to nine months trying to keep it alive knowing I don't own the company and knowing I may not be successful but it was that dream and that's, that's where the blind vision of an entrepreneur comes in and really plays a part is that you only see the positive end result you, you don't allow yourself to see it failing
0: that's that's true sometimes as an entrepreneur you see opportunities and you run to each opportunity just to make sure that you haven't left something unturned that's right because you're looking for that magic key right you're looking for that key that can help you sell the products
1: that's correct and
0: you've mentioned something in your book too about the 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 key what what is the key to selling products um
1: having a product that 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 you totally believe in because if you don't believe in it you're not going to be That's a very good it. salesperson. That's it. You know and and luckily um, even though I made some disastrous decisions especially financially along the way Haven't we all? Yeah. The product <laughs> itself was so good yes. that it just kept surviving regardless of me <laughs> sort of doing all these dumb things you know. Uh, the product was so good and people loved it so much that they just kept coming back and buying it. So. But,
0: the other thing that you mentioned in the book, which we have done several shows on now, is the power of having a dynamic business plan. Yes. It's huge. Again, entrepreneurs were so excited. We're going to go, go, go right out of the door. Let's go here. Let's go there. Let's spend money here. Then all of a sudden you don't have any more money to spend. Right. And that's when you should have really sat down before you went ahead. To to a
1: certain extent, you know, um, because every entrepreneur must have some level of ignorance going in. <laughs> Otherwise, they wouldn't start. Of right? course. And you can business plan yourself to death and, and convince yourself that every single business plan, the business can't work because you just did a business plan. And that's a trap. Um, like, I, I, I have this funny statement that, that going to college to be an entrepreneur is like practicing to go on a date. right right <laughs> you, you can't predict what's coming up when right. you start your own business and you can plan for it sure i wish to god looking back the only regret i had was that i didn't have somebody who, who understood finance right right That's huge. because cash flow is key As an entrepreneur, it's not about profit and loss for the first four or five years. It's about cash flow. And I was an accountant. I was a CPA, you know, equivalent of a CPA. I didn't understand finance. I didn't understand money and the way it worked. And had I known that, I would have made my life a lot easier. But then again, had I known that, I may not have started. Nobody may know the word UGG today.
0: I would have to disagree, Brian, because you you were some people are born to be entrepreneurs, and okay. you, were, you were one of them. I mean, just by reading your book right. I, I got that feeling okay i 'm one of them I, I have the same characteristics and the drive and the passion right and I think going back to having a business plan, sure, it might not be the very first thing that somebody thinks about, but it has to be the second, third, or fourth thing because because this business plan not only sets your goal, but it also put, puts in place a document that you can actually provide investors. That's what an investor is going to look
1: at. Yes. And, and, a, and at a, some
0: point, you are going to need investment money, correct?
1: Uh, yes, uh, especially if a company is growing as fast as I did, you know, when it's doubling every year. You, you can never finance that from internal growth. So you have to have outside money. Um, but, but again, when you're underway is when you really get the benefit of a business plan. If, right. you're, if you're just starting out with an idea, I, I can't tell you how many you know, forecasts I've got you know, in trash cans that, that showed millions and millions of dollars of profit and the business failed. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. I've started so many businesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a business plan when you, before you've started is, is just financially uh, useless. But here's where the benefit is. It makes you think about things like suppliers, Mm -hmm. the timing of product, how many product uh, items should I have? Um, Who's your target market? yeah who you yeah. selling it to marketing who, who do I marketing. who are the potential retailers who, who are the, that, that's where a benefit uh, a, a business plan really benefits you mm-hmm. is thinking lo- the logistics through but it's pretty much pointless doing it as a forecast of profitability because oh, of you, you you're never going to see half the stuff coming down the line no no
0: there, I agree with now, you. Now, having
1: been in business for four or five years where you know what's happened historically and you can start to project, that's when a business plan becomes really critical.
0: Right. Completely agreed. What would you say, Brian, that is one of your most valuable lessons that you learned as an entrepreneur?
1: Okay. The, the theme of my book, you know, the, the Birth of a Brand, is that you can't give birth to adults. Right. every business starts with someone conceiving it right. and then taking the first action which is the birth Right. for, for me the birth of UGG was buying six pairs of samples mm-hmm. and testing them and then every business goes into this horrible infancy and it just lies there and lies there and lies there and there's no amount of extra feeding it or jiggling the cradle or urging it it cannot get up and go to college it has to be an infant and unfortunately, but why not? <laughs> unfortunately, that's when most entrepreneurs give up. Exactly. Because they don't see any, you know, they might get a smile or a giggle now and again, but they don't see any visible signs of, of action and they tend to give up too quickly. But eventually that infant will start toddling, which is a cool stage because, you know, people are writing articles about you and your product or your service. And the first true believers are out there mm-hmm. singing your praises. And that goes into the youth where, uh, is the best phase of every business where you got you know, predictable sales, predictable sales force, predictable accounting, predictable shipping, predictable you know sourcing of product, and that's a really great phase. You can run a twenty-five million dollar business in that youth phase, but if it's a really really good business or service like Ugg was, mm-hmm. it gets into the teenage years and. You know, it's like you want to be at every party in town right. and, and you take on partners that you really shouldn't right, uh, right. because you didn't research it properly. And that's a super dangerous phase. And I almost lost control of about three or four times during that teenage phase. You know, you want to be in every big retailer and every big trade show. You don't have the cash flow for it. And a lot of those, you know, you know, directions are suicidal mm-hmm. uh, but then you know the, the controllers come and put all the you know checks in and it becomes mature. So I think that's the biggest lesson I learned. and the, the other one uh, which I look back now on and you know, having started many many businesses I'll we'll
0: have to bring you back on so you can share those many, many yeah I'd love to that do you've that started, yeah.
1: yes. and that is my theme that the the quickest way for a tadpole to become a frog, is live every day happily as a tadpole. There
0: you go. You know? There you and go. See, Brian, I'm getting gooseies again. All
1: right. And that <laughs> believe it or not, that sounds like a trite statement, but but that's the one everybody remembers a year later when they hear it on stage, they'll come up and say, Oh my god, you're the tadpole guy. That that is such a <laughs> profound piece of philosophy. Yeah. Because you can't accelerate life. You just have to live it every day. And if you can be happy every day, then whatever you're doing is better than being sad every day. Exactly. You know? so, so really
0: enjoy what you're doing. You, yeah. you definitely, as an entrepreneur, like you just said, you, you don't have a set roadmap that you're going to follow every step of yeah. the way and you're going to be successful. That's and, correct. and, you know, you're going to have pitfalls. You're going to fail at certain things. Yeah. But enjoy every moment. Like you said, those are some of the best moments of your life that you remember exactly. fondly. Yeah. yeah. That's fantastic. And Brian, uh, one last question for you. What kind of advice would you give to our audience that's maybe just thinking about starting a business? Start. <laughs> Fantastic. That's that's the
1: only word. Start. Just start. Once you start it and and look, the secret to success is figuring out what you can do better than anybody else and just do it, right? Now, a lot of people will get trapped there because they say well and and I did too and a friend of mine gave me that advice when I was 25 I I didn't understand what he was saying uh, because I thought well I don't know anything better than anybody else I have no idea but when you look back I when I started UGG, I knew nothing about importing uh, and, and by the you know 20 years after I started I was you know air freighting and sea freighting containers of product with special rates and everything mm-hmm. and when I started I, had, I knew nothing about footwear design but you know after 20 years I, I designed a whole bunch of styles and colors and you know, that went into thousands of new products and I knew nothing about the sheepskin industry mm-hmm. but you know after 20 years we were buying futures in lamb skins before the the, the lambs were born mm-hmm, and we were wow. buying currencies you know so uh, i knew nothing about marketing my first 3 or 4 years of, of oh advertising God, was
0: horrific we're going through those growing pains right yeah. now
1: and then I, you know i figured out you know, great marketing and that became my passion and my skill yes and i knew nothing about retail you know big box versus specialty stores and keystone markups and and yet, and yet one day I'm I'm standing on the veranda at the, this country club in New Jersey because I was playing golf with the president of Kinney Shoe who is the biggest shoe retailer in the world right. and I and I can remember thinking how the hell did I ever get here mm-hmm. and it took you know 18 years but I had become the best at every one of those facets in my tiny little niche of sheepskin footwear you know in the whole footwear world I wasn't really big but in my niche i was big enough to be a billion dollar brand potentially mm-hmm. and so that advice that i gave earlier is it figure out what you can do better than anybody else and do it you don't have to know it before you start but your answer to your question was just start
0: just start yeah exactly i'm a founder of a plush toys called e-adorables it's um plush toys, big animals with oversized ears okay. that open up into pockets. Okay. My thought behind that was that children, when they play with all their little trinkets and they have to go off to grandmas or to their yep. friends, they can't really take all of them with them. Mom usually says, grab one or two. So now, with their ear adorables, they can take all their trinkets to grandmas or their friends. I love it. Yeah, it's a great idea. And I thought about this probably about in 2013, so about maybe five years ago. Right. And... I followed the steps, so i hadn't I had no business being in the toy industry. I don't know the first thing about toys right. I don't know where they're made, I don't know how they're designed. I don't know all the laws behind them. Yep. they have to be childproof, all of this stuff yep. and i I just like yourself, I learned, I figured stuff out, and then for the longest time, I was going to all of these toy fairs and yes, licensing yes. shows, and I was told over and over again, plus she's not in this year. what? Plush is always in every year, but yeah. that's what I was told. No one's looking at plush right now. No right. one cares about that. Right. So for a year and a half, my babies, my E-Adorables, they sat in a box underneath my stairwell okay. for a year and a half. Right. And then this was the lucky break that I got. One of my friends said, you have to apply to this show. It's called The Toy Box. Okay. And long story short, I was on the toy box of... Um, this season last season just gone right and uh, at the end of it Mattel engaged me and now Mattel and I are partners and Mattel's actually selling Eadorables
1: so isn't that a perfect illustration of, of, of infancy where nothing's happening Going into the toddler phase where you got that contact, yes, and then getting into the the youth. That that's a fa- that, that it's so predictable. That's that's exactly what everyone can face. If and they everybody start was their saying,
0: Brian, they were saying, "Well, why don't you just sell them, or why don't you give them away to yeah. you know the children's yeah. hospital or something?" But I had that feeling yeah. inside me. I said, "I'm yeah. not ready to let go yet."
1: Yeah, and the other illustration you just made in that story is that the universe had everything available. Yes, right. The manufacturer. Manufacturers were there. They were. You know, the buyers were there. <laughs> Everybody was there. You just had to wait until they all came into alignment.
0: There you go. And
1: that's where the perseverance comes in. So, there you go. Yeah. So, well done. Well,
0: fantastic. Yeah. Thank you so much, Brian, for being on our show. Hey, I
1: went too quickly.
0: <laughs> but we promised to have you back, though. Okay, that's a Absolutely, deal. That's yes. A deal. And, and how can our audience find you?
1: Sure. My website is UGGFounder, UGGFounder.com. And uh, if you go there, you can either buy my book on the website or just go to Amazon, and the book is The Birth of a Brand, and to me, it's a it's a roadmap for entrepreneurs. It, it does, doesn't matter it if you're starting out or you've been doing it for 10, 15 years. It's still a roadmap for entrepreneurs, and you can get that on Amazon, The Birth of a Brand.
0: Fantastic. and. Please feel free to leave us comments, go to golegalyourself.com, go to the contact page and leave us some comments and let us know what uh, you would like Brian to maybe answer next time he's on our show for you. This is a fantastic opportunity for you. And remember, the only way you become successful is if you go legal yourself. I am attorney Kelly Bagler, the queen of business law, and it has been a pleasure being your host. Until next time, cheers to your success.